We continue our look at what it means to be a growing church in a groaning world. And remember that means uh, not necessarily numerically. Uh, it's just as important, even more so, that we would grow in maturity. And that is one of the key themes of the book of Acts. And so we're looking at what it means to be a growing church in a groaning world. And we're in uh, Acts chapter 20, looking at verses 17 through 38, our last look here at this section of the book of Acts that covers Paul's third missionary journey. We've dug in a couple places, we've looked at the overview, and now we're going to see a passage that is different from any other in the book of Acts. It's a speech, which there are lots of in the book of Acts, but this particular speech is unique. It is the only time we see someone uh, of, of a huge status like Peter or Paul or any other evangelist of that time or any other pastor, elder, whatever, in the book of Acts speaking to God's people. Uh, Paul calls the elders from the city of Ephesus to come and meet him in the port city of Miletus as he is headed to Jerusalem. Uh, most likely, Luke himself witnessed this speech. Some would say he took some notes, um, or whether he remembered it verbatim, we know the Holy Spirit was at work, and we know that in this tearful farewell that Paul speaks profitably, not just to those elders, and not just to the first century, but even to us today, as those who are among the blood-bought flock of Jesus. So read with me here, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following. And we'll find the fuel we need to be faithful to our Lord. Acts 20, verse 17 and following. <clears throat> From Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know... From the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly 
of the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in the manner you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. This is God's word. Father, thank you for your word, that it is trustworthy and true. And we pray, even as Jesus did, that you would set us apart, sanctify us, make us different, transform and change us by your word. We have confidence you will do that, Lord, because we come not in our own strength or in our own name or in our own power, but in the name of Jesus trusting your Holy Spirit to work. In his precious name we come. Amen. So here, here's Paul, after serving among these elders for some three or so years in that city of Ephesus, they're now going to be parted for what Paul thinks is, is forever. Uh, there's a possibility that he went to Ephesus, we're pretty sure, again later on. But at this point, Paul is convinced that they will not see each other again. And so, as he sent some from Miletus to go fetch the elders, it would have taken a couple of days for them to get there and the elders to come and meet him. He, he has some time to think and to plan. What, what should he say when they get there? What should he encourage them with when he knows that challenges are coming for them? That even some of those men that he's going to look at are going to lead people astray and cause harm to the church. How can he help them, encourage them as overseers, elders, and shepherds of the flock as all of those terms are used here in this passage? 
Well, thankfully, Luke was most likely there. We read in Acts chapter 20, verse 15, and then again in chapter 21, verse 1, he says, we, Luke says, we did this and we did that. So most likely Luke is there, and he recorded not only that they might be encouraged there and that day, but that brothers and sisters, you and I and all of the church of God might be encouraged as we face challenges, especially as leaders, but every one of us, as we face uncertainty, as we face certain struggles to come, how do we go on in the face of affliction, in the face of diagnoses, in the face of just the division and and destruction that goes on all around us, and broken relationships in our own circles of influence? How do you carry on? How do you keep going? In one sense, it's super clear in this passage. You serve the Lord as someone purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. That's what verse 28 says, right? Speaks to those elders. Chapter 20, verse 28 Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. It is the blood of Jesus in view here with the plan of God behind it and the Spirit working through it that all three persons of the Trinity have worked together not just to save that church in that time but to save you, to save me. That it is the precious blood of Jesus and the plan of God that is at work in all of these circumstances. So, so how do you carry on? You serve the Lord as someone who is bought. And the sense of the word that Paul uses in verse 19 when he says, You know that from the first day I set foot how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility. Tears and trials. That word for serving is, is the word for servant. It is the sense of one whose life is not in their own control. It is someone who serves not themselves as their own master, but who serves another. And brothers and sisters, in this case, the way you carry on is by recognizing that you serve not yourself. You don't even serve other people primarily, but you serve the one who has bought you for a price, who has shed his own blood for you, and who has done that not to whip you, but to woo you and win you. That's who he is. He is so interested in you and in winning you and setting you free from what is harmful and destructive that he would bring you to himself at the cost of his own precious blood, that you would be purchased bought, redeemed, paid for into His service. So you, you not only must serve, that's the way you carry on, right? But actually, you can serve. And in, and in serving, you will find the fuel for faithfulness. And that's, that's how we're going to look at this today. That this faithfulness fueled by Grace. You're saved by grace, and grace alone will fuel your faithfulness. How do you carry on in faithfulness? Let's let's look at that. What what does it even mean to be faithful? It's our first point. What was faithfulness all about? 
And we see here that faithfulness is about living consistently. Faithfulness is living consistently in every place. Did you notice what Paul said in verse 20? I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house. Paul says, you know, wherever I went, public or private, I was was faithful, living consistently. I I was the same person in your houses as I was out in the public. He was the same person on Sunday as he was on Thursday. On the morning and in the evening. In public and in someone's home. The same person. In every place he was living consistently. And that happened over time. He emphasizes verse 18. From from the first footstep, first day that I set foot, verse 18 says, in Asia, you know how I was with you the whole time. A period of three years. Paul says, the whole time. You know, in the good times and the bad times, with trials and tears. Riots. Persecution. And of course, lots of amazing things happening. Paul says, you know, I was the same person. Every place, over time. Not just on the mountaintops and the good times, but down in the struggles and the tears and the blood. In every place, over time, in all circumstances. You think about the tears and the trials, the threats, the opposition, and the future afflictions that he knows are coming to himself. Verses 22 through 24, he says, I'm I'm bound by the Spirit on my way to Jerusalem, verse 22, not knowing what will happen to me there except, verse 23, that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying, the bonds and afflictions await me. There have been prophets along the way and prophets to come in the next few chapters who say, you're going bound to Jerusalem and Paul fixes his face toward Jerusalem. Not unlike Jesus, who Luke wrote about in chapter 9 and following, who had fixed his face to Jerusalem, knowing what awaited him. You know, Paul's mind and heart are set on living consistently and faithfully with the Lord, before the Lord. Not just when it goes well, but even when it involves tears. Not just when it's comfortable, but even when there's pain. All of those things are what it's about to live faithfully, consistently. Not just when things go well or go your way, but in all circumstances, over time, in every place. In other words, this is about character and integrity. It's about the internal resolve and conviction that you live in line with what you believe. And that bears out over time, right? You know that old expression, you know, how do you know uh, what's inside of a Christian? You put them in hot water like a tea bag, right? That's what's in you comes out. That's faithfulness, this living consistently. And for Paul, you remember as someone who had a very clear and dramatic calling from God, the, the light shining in Acts chapter 9, Jesus saying, you know, I've sent you to proclaim my name. Paul never 
in doubt about what God's call for him was. And it gave him this tremendous resolve and conviction that he would not, verse 20 says, shrink back, verse 20, from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He had this awareness of what God wanted from him and a commitment and resolve to, to do it. If you look through here, just it's so obvious that he just had this sense of what God wanted him to do. I don't consider my life, verse 24 says, of any account as dear to myself, so I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. You know, throughout this whole passage, it's just, Paul just keeps saying, look, I spoke, I declared, I testified. I solemnly testified. I declared. I spoke. I taught. I preached. I proclaimed. The, the Paul said, this is, this is what I'm about. This is what God wants me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And there's an interesting strength in that. That faithfulness comes from living consistently, and you get the consistency when you have a clarity. No matter what the obstacles are, when you, when you know who you're serving, you know why you're serving, you know at least in general what, what your calling is. And that's where Paul was, right? He knew God wanted him to speak the good news among the Gentiles. And all along the way, there were all kinds of decisions that Paul had to make. There were all kinds of temptations and trials along the way. You remember uh, several chapters ago when Paul was on his, uh, was it the first? It was the second missionary journey. He's on that road and he's like, you know, I want to go uh, left into Asia, heading south. And God says, no, you're not going into Asia. He says, well, I want to go to the right, up into the Bithynia and up above on that way. And God says, no, you're not going there. God says, come over to Macedonia and help here. So Paul goes, right? Paul listens to where the Lord says not to go, and he goes where the Lord says to go. And, and what happened? He got like beat up, beaten, left for dead, beaten, thrown in jail, and put in stocks. Is, is, you know, if, he's, if he's thinking of outcomes and success in terms of numbers you know, and, and all that, like that that's, that's not going to fuel him. He's going to be discouraged. But if he's thinking success in, I'm going where God wanted me to go. I'm doing what God wanted me to do. There's such a peace in that. There's a freedom in that. And it comes in the, in the little decisions. It comes as you think about, do I go here or there? Do I hang out with these people or these people? Do I take that job or this job? Well, how do I handle not having a job? What do I do? C.S. Lewis made this great observation. That every time, he said, you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was. Right? You could have been this, you could have been that, you were here. You choose and you step in a direction, in other words. You take your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices and all your life long. You are slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. 
either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature, C.S. Lewis says, is heaven, joy and peace and knowledge and power. And to be the other is madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. I mean, you think about it in terms of consistency. What is a life like if you are consistently choosing in values that you are convicted of and know and understand on a purpose that you are on board with? What's that like? It's pretty, you know, it's like things come up, they're hard, there's a lot, but you know what? This is the direction. As opposed to what? If, if you are living just to please people, people are impossible to please, and you're going to be yanked all over the place, right? You're never going to satisfy anyone, and you're going to be in this constant turmoil. If, you, if you're living for your own pleasure, you just, that varies, right? It's just it's never enough. You play the game for an hour, and it's just never enough. You want another hour, and you play for, play for another hour, and it's just still not enough. And you play for another hour, and sooner or later it's like, this is miserable. I'm not having fun anymore, and yet I can't stop because I think maybe, maybe now it will be fun again, and it never is. And you can substitute video games for sex, for substances, for riches, for status at work or anything else, and it's never going to satisfy to follow those desires that are driven by something other than the reality that you are bought with a price, you are no longer your own, that a God who loves you and has great plans for you, who knows what it is to be human because he's taken on human flesh and lived it, but even more than that, because he made you. And he not only made you, but he redeemed you. He bought you. He came when he didn't have to, to die for you, to live for you, to die for you, and to send his spirit to live in you and set you free. That kind of life is, 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 is the consistency of coming back to that in the little decisions and the big decisions. There, there are no decisions you make that ought to be made in a vacuum where you don't consider God's will. That's not to say that the Bible tells you which car to buy or which job to take or which person to marry but the Bible does speak of the wisdom. The Bible does put parameters. So, of course, yeah, if you are following the Lord and you want to follow the Lord, you are not going to be unequally yoked. You're not going to hitch yourself up with a spouse or even with a boyfriend or girlfriend before that who is likely to not share your interest and drag you down because it never works the other way. Rarely, rarely, okay? 0.001% of the time does missionary dating work. That's like never. And it causes a lot of harm and grief and brokenness. You know, it's, God gives wisdom, and one of the ways he gives wisdom is in community. As you make those decisions, the overarching way you live consistently, brothers and sisters, is this commitment to the faithfulness to, to faithfulness to Jesus who has bought you. 
to say, as Paul will around this time as he writes to the church in Corinth, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, that you live always before God. And that means you, you need friends who are committed to the same thing. That means you need a community committed to the same thing. You need to cultivate those relationships and be in that kind of community because you are purchased with the blood of Jesus. You know, there is nothing more empowering than clarity about your standing with God. There's nothing more hopeful than knowing you are the object of God's pleasure and not God's wrath. And where is that going to be reinforced for you? When you're alone in the dark by yourself? Or when you are in the light with God's people and engaging in what God would have you to do? In community. This idea of living consistently is... is Super important that living before the Lord, first of all, but you, you must see that the second part of that is what? That, that you're not only, faithfulness is not only living consistently, but it is living consistently in community. That's the second part of our first point. This in community. Paul says in verse 18, you know, you yourselves know. Verse 18. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials. Humility here is not about uh, uh, self-abasement and just miserableness. Humility, in this particular word for humility, is almost always in a direction of towards other people. It is a human relational term about what you're focused on and what you're considering. Paul will use this word in Philippians 2, verse 3, when he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do you see that? Philippians 2.3. Humility is about considering others more important than yourselves. That's not meaning, and it's very hard to distinguish. It doesn't mean that they are better than you or more valuable than you or, or you are less worthy and of less value. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that, that you have no existence on your own only to serve and, and, and be at the whims of other people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying actively take this in your mind to be humble, that you would regard someone else as more important of a higher position. The same word often has to do with position and power, authority. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 7 puts it that way. Where Paul speaks of the surpassing value position of knowing Christ versus earthly riches. It's, it's used of the emperor in 1 Peter 2.13 and Romans 13.1 and 1 Timothy 2, the same word where you... There are, you willingly, humility is about saying, you know what? 
you're another human being, but, but I am going to consider and prioritize your will above my will. Do you see the difference there? That's an active choice. It's actually a very strong choice. It's a very hard choice because human nature would say to you, don't do it. Don't back down. Fight for your rights. Look out for yourself. And, and there are places for those things. But the underlying position of living in community faithfully as followers of Jesus, as the blood-bought flock of Jesus, says, I am going to consider you more important, your will more important than me. 1 Peter 5.5 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is, is demonstrated horizontally, right, toward other people, but it's always about this vertical relationship with God. As someone else put it, humility is not so much thinking less of yourself, as in value and worth, but thinking of yourself less, as in less attention and less frequency to yourself. Paul is what? Focused on serving the Lord on fulfilling his calling before God. Of doing, verse 20 says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. The idea of the word there is in your best interest, to your gain. In contrast to things that are permissible, that are lawful, but are not going to build up he says in first corinthians 10 23 right around this time and this speech of paul to the elders so much echoes themes of all of paul's letters but especially the ones that he wrote during this time corinthians romans uh, thessalonians before this he says in first corinthians 10 23 all things are lawful but not all things are profitable that's our word all things are lawful but not all things edify build up so the question is to ask like if, I, if I'm considering your will better than mine, it's to say, well, what would build you up? Which is not always giving you what you want, which is the doormat thing. You begin to become a doormat when you just do what other people want to please them. And you have left God out of the equation and, and lost track of the fact that, no, you know what? God has gifted me and called me to do what's best for them, which sometimes, especially with your children, is not what they want. It's what they need. It's not to please them in this moment, but to look down the corridors of time and say, you know what, when you're 30, I want you to say, yeah, I didn't want to hear that, but it's probably what I needed to hear. And you could be wrong sometimes. Obviously, that, that happens. And we all need that, right? Love is not just giving people what they want. It is serving them with what will build them up and what they need and what will help and what will benefit. Paul has this conviction. That's, that's what he did. He was always striving to do that. Like the watchman of Ezekiel chapter 33, Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I, I declared God's will. I did my best. My conscience is clear. I told you whatever I thought was profitable. And whether you respond or not is out of my control.
I'm innocent of the blood of all men, he says. You know, when we think about community, I don't know, you know, your church shopping or something, you're, you're looking for a, a church, you, you tend to think, well, what's, what, what's in it for me? What, what benefits can I get here? You know, other times, think about the challenges we must overcome. Yeah, you know, it's hard to be uh, a, a, a cross-cultural community, people from various faiths, you know. The, the thing is, if, if, if we focus on those things, right, if I, if I focus on, boy, this is really hard for me, or, oh, this is what's in it for me, when, whenever we're focusing on those things, it's really hard to serve the Lord faithfully in community. It just pay attention to your pronouns. If I, 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 or they, they, they uh, comes up, you know, it's, 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 a, it's not necessarily wrong, but it's something to think about. What am I saying? Oh, I'm talking and using the first person pronoun a lot. I, 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 I. You know, it's, it's hard because if, if the thing is, if you begin to, to, to keep thinking about yourself and the benefits or the challenges or those kind of things or all of that, it's hard not to begin comparing. Right? The, the devil will come in there and you can start from a legitimate place and the devil's like, yeah, psst, you know. Yeah, you know, you know who doesn't think like you? You just got it wrong. It's that guy over there. You know, they're really not serving the Lord. If they were serving the Lord, you know, it would be like this. You begin this comparisons. You begin to pay, compare your performance, your faithfulness. You compare your ideas or whatever else. And as your focus on self, benefits, challenges, struggles, as, as that becomes bigger and becomes more consuming of your mental space, more of your awareness, you know, what gives is not sin, okay? That doesn't push sin out. That pushes God out. Because in a sense, we begin to inflate, psh, 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 remember, bike pump? You know, we're inflating the God substitute and it's us. And God is pushed out or he's already gone and we're filling ourselves up because we don't bring him into the conversation and we get larger god gets smaller we shift ourselves into god's position we complain we judge we know better it can be subtle these people are such a drain or boy we used to do this thing or oh man it used to be this or oh, i wish it could only be that or you guys ought to blah or i can't believe that all of those things right this the it can be subtle. So pay attention. How much comparison is in your language? How much judgment is in your language? And how does that impact your willingness to serve the Lord? Because that's a key indicator. If, if your concerns and your evaluations, if your assessments are bringing the Lord into it, they're going to motivate you to serve the Lord and solve the problems and overcome the challenges. But if they are something of yourself, if they are somewhere tending to idolatry, they're going to inhibit your ministry. They're going to make you pull back. They're going to cause you to cut off. 
They're going to lead you away from Jesus and his people. Do you understand that? And the devil's going to sit back and laugh. Because you're going to do it self-righteously. And feeling like you're doing the Lord's will as you narrow your, your tunnel vision more and more to yourself. Don't hear me saying there aren't things to be critical of. There aren't things that could be improved and ought to be challenged and discussed. But the way you go about it is important. And the heart attitude of faithfulness and serving the Lord, of bringing Him into it. Because that, that, faithfulness takes us in a different direction. It's like, how can I help? How can I serve? What would do the best? It's not just tearing down. It's seeking to build up. Say there's a problem here, and I really want to help. And I've been so encouraged in in seeing this. And there's some people who who are really good at this, and you've got to just say, stop, 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 stop. You can't do everything. Okay? Those folks who say, we we, we need some children's ministry. We we need to get these things going. And and, and, and they're positive, and they want to move. And it's like, well, would you help? Yeah, I, I, I can. I just can't do too much. You know, that's, that's, that's living faithfully in community. That's living consistently. It's saying, you know what? Jesus is about way more than you and me and us. He's about something much bigger. And that's our focus. That leads us out away from ourselves to the needs of others, to minister to others for their benefit, not what's in it for me, but would really help. And you think about others. You, you, you consider them and where they're at. You know, I think about um, Daniel Lecter's traveling around with his mom, Jean, who is uh, 80, 81, missionary for forever in the Yucatan Peninsula. Had a horrible car crash a couple of years ago. She's recovering from that. She's got that walker, though. She's got, she didn't mention it barely uh, in public, but she has uh, macular degeneration. That's why she couldn't read the slides that were up on the screen. She's basically just seeing with peripheral vision. It's gotten worse, but it's now plateaued. It's not getting any worse. And and she literally could not make this trip without Daniel, her son, with her. And he's like, I'm happy to do it. I have off. I have time. I'm available. I value my mom's ministry. And he's sacrificing. Brothers, that's a beautiful picture. That, that that heart of supporting and serving. How do you how do you get that? Right? How 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 do you live out of faithfulness that's living consistently in community? Well, you do it because you're fueled by only one thing. By the gospel of grace. You have to be fueled by the gospel of grace to do this. Serving the Lord is fueled by the gospel of grace. Look what he says in verse 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. What's he saying? What? That, that I would do what God wants me to do. That I would live consistently and faithfully to testify solemnly of what? The gospel of the grace of of God. Verse 32, he calls it the word of grace. I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, 
which is able, verse 32, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. All those who are set apart, all those who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus, that the way they are built up is through the gospel of grace. By understanding and appropriating more and more that Jesus really has settled all of your debts. That Jesus really has covered all of your shame. That Jesus really has paid all that is necessary. That Jesus really has won the victory over the devil. That Jesus really has done all of those things. And anything that would tell you otherwise is a lie. And not of the truth. And that Jesus right now wants to work through you because he's given you that, that great uh, acronym for grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. That the only thing you need is Jesus and then you have everything and more. That you have an inheritance that won't perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. That you have the power of God accessible to you because the risen Jesus is reigning now and has conquered the evil one and is victorious over everything that would attack and beset you. Every problem, sin and temptation, every trial. Jesus really has won the victory over those things. And by His Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you are now connected to that power and that seat and that community of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit who forever were related and perfect perfect harmony, but out of their love for you and their desire to set you free from what has entangled you, they what? Allowed brokenness into it somehow in a mysterious way that the Son would come to earth and take on human flesh to become a part of His creation. He didn't have to, but He loved you and He lived for you and He suffered and died for you and rose victorious and has sent His Spirit into you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to work for your freedom, for your life for your hope, for your redirection. Paul will say around the same time in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed. The same word he uses in our passage of not shrinking back. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. That's another way of saying what? That you are fueled by grace. That what you need is more Jesus. And what He gives is more of Himself to save and set you free, to build you up and give you a lasting inheritance, to, to, to work in and through you. This is the secret to faithfulness. To accept the Gospel grace and to re-accept it. To know the message that Paul says that he declared again and 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 again. The message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus that you might live. That's the secret to faithfulness. This gift you didn't earn. This purpose this above yourself, this, this meaning and depth. And this is what God has given to every one of you. You, you. you need an overarching purpose. Everything else is under it. Your purpose, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, what is, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. 
To live for God, to live before God, the one who has redeemed you and bought you, to live for Him. And, and then let that to flow down into your particular callings. And if you don't know what you have in terms of spiritual gifts that God has given you, which He does, because if you are bought with the blood of Jesus, you have the Spirit of Jesus at work in you, and you have gifts to be put to use. And part of your faithfulness and living consistently is using those gifts. One of my friends put it this way, there are no love handles on the body of Christ. I love that. There are no love handles like these things here. There are none of these on the body of Christ. You, you are valuable. You are called for a purpose. You're a part of God's plan. You have meaning. And it is only through this repentance and faith of understanding and appropriating that grace that you can open up the door to live consistently in community. Right? Because if you, if, if, you are, if you are fueled by something other than the grace of God, what are you going to do when you fail? What are you going to do when someone sins against you or lets you down, which every human being will do? If you're not fueled by the grace of God, it's going to crush you. It's going to destroy you or at least distract you and sidetrack you. But if you're fueled by the grace of God, you'll say, you know what? Repentance is available to me. That Jesus covered this sin and brokenness too. And I can extend that forgiveness. And I can press in. I can lean in. Brothers and sisters, do not believe the devil's lies that it's too late or you've done too much. There is always a new start available. That there is always opportunity for repentance and faith. That there is always hope. In fact, you know, if you want to live consistently, you want to be faithful and live consistently in community, if, that, if God is working on your heart right now, take this moment to, to think about these three things. The first one you've got, because you're here today, and if you're online and, and, and worshiping and engaged, you've got it too. That The first thing is, you know what faithfulness is about? It's about worship. It's about being with God's people. Doing this thing we're doing. Singing and praying and being reminded of what it is to live with Him. That He's our purpose. And there are other people with us. We're not alone. That the light is shining right here in our midst. And there's that worship aspect. There is a, a need for deepening connection with God and with other people. And you won't get it just in this place. With this large group, you need a smaller group of people that you can connect with and you can connect with God. It could be part of the music team. Catch up with Justin if you're interested in that. As we move forward, we'll be talking about that. Uh, talk to our elders. Every one of us has one group or another. If you're, if you're between 6th grade and 12th grade, you should be coming out to Crossfire or some sort of place you know, where you can, you can connect with people and with God. There are opportunities. The women's Sunday School has been going great. You know, Alan's got a couple opportunities. There's, there's opportunities you could connect 
with God and with other people. And then lastly, you need to be putting your gifts to use in serving others. I don't want to make this just a sales pitch, but these are realities, right? God, God has put you in this place at this time, and if, he, if He's got you here and you want to be faithful, consider, okay, I need to worship. I need to grow in the connection with God and other people. And I need to minister and serve other people. You know, we're, we're talking about what we do for the youth in, in the fall. And I read something that said, you know what? There's a huge difference in how a person between the ages of, uh, we'll call it, just say teenagers, there's a huge difference between how a teenager views life and how confident they are in facing challenges and everything else within them based on the number of adults who have taken an interest in them and are connected to them. And it really only takes five adults to be interested in one teenager over a period of time, faithful, right? That it has a huge difference in their lives. Let's put that to practice somehow with our youth. Our children's ministry, we're trying to get that going and figure out what does Sunday school look like? And, and a lot of these things, brothers and sisters, to be just blunt. They're going to be kind of temporary, a little more than band-aids. We hope to do them well. But just like we learned how to do this online worship thing, it was like growing and improving each week. That's kind of the place we're at. Where we're going to do some things for a short term. We're going to do some things that are for now. And we're going to try to do them well. We're going to try not to take off more than we can chew so that we can serve faithfully and consistently. And not to start off real hard and fail. But that's the things we're going to try to do. So if you're interested in a children's ministry, talk to, talk to my wife, Julia Quillen. Talk to Brooke Batesel. Uh, a couple other folks are on that team. John Batesel, uh, one of our elders. Uh, nursery, well, we're going to need a nursery soon. If you're interested in nursery, talk to me. If you're interested in youth, let me know. If, if you want to be faithful, if you want to live consistently in community, you need to be fueled by the grace of God. And if you are, and you're living this life of repentance and faith, you, you, will, you, will, you will be able to continue. Paul is saying in this passage to elders who are some of them going to be problematic and some of them are going to watch that happen as savage wolves rip apart the flock of God. But Paul's confidence is entrusting them to the God of grace and to the gospel of grace that is able to equip and build them up. It's the same thing you and I need today. We're about to have communion. It's the Lord's Supper together. To feast and remember and be fed by what we most need. Which obviously is not just a little bit of nutritional value, but the spiritual reality below it that we are testifying to our dependence on as we come in faith and repentance, saying, Jesus, we need you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we need you. Would you meet us here, fuel us, feed us, lead us? We pray in your precious name, trusting in your grace. Amen.